Well, hello again. I'm Tony Payne, and welcome to another edition of The Painful Truth, where we try to find and apply the truth to our lives as Christians in God's world, the truth of Christ crucified, even if that truth is sometimes a little painful to hear. And in this week's episode, we're going to come back to the painful truths about our Bible reading and some of the mistakes we make when we read the Bible. You may remember a few weeks ago, I did a post called The Blunder in Our Bible Reading, where I talked about words and word studies and some of the dangers and problems with word studies. And in the wake of that episode, a number of you sent in some really thoughtful and helpful questions about this subject, and it made me think that perhaps a few more sentences might be useful about the value of words. Now, you may remember that I was suggesting that we, that is we evangelical Christians, have a bit of a habit of overusing and misusing word studies. Uh, In that post a few weeks ago, I was saying that given that meaning is constructed and made through sentences, and only through sentences, we need to make sure that we prioritize reading the sentences that are in front of us in the various passages of the Bible and not chase up words all over the Bible to see what connections we can make to our passage as if meaning is made through the connections between those words. Now, some of you wrote in to say, well, hang on, is that the crying of a baby I hear that has been thrown out with the bathwater? Surely word studies are of some use. Am I supposed to feel guilty every time I chase up a cross-reference now or look at how a word is used in other places or do a word search on all the uses of a word in a particular book or in the Bible? And so in the comment thread, Callan asked, for example, is it reasonable to think in Ephesians that when Paul uses the word minister or the Greek word diakonos in Ephesians 3.17 to describe himself as a minister of Christ, a servant of Christ, does that have some relation to the fact that in the next chapter, the saints are equipped for the work of ministry or service? And it's much the same word, diakonia, in Ephesians 4.12. Is it okay for us to see that connection and make something of it, or are we doing something illegitimate if we do that? Well, given that it's part of the same discourse... Very likely, yes, it is okay. As I pointed out in the original post, the closer that two repeated words are to one another in a discourse, the more likely we are to notice that repetition as readers and ponder whether the author is referring to the same thing or saying something through that repetition. And that's the key point. Whether or not there is a connection between two words is determined by what the author is doing in the sentences and in the discourse that is made up of those sentences, not through the cleverness of our Bible software. In this case, I think Callan's right. The activity the saints are being equipped for in chapter 4, verse 12, is part of the same mission that Paul's been appointed to back in chapter 3. And so the repetition of diakonos, diakonia, helps us to notice that, of course, along with the unfolding logic of the whole section, of which 3.17 and 4.12 are part. All the same, just be careful, the mere fact of repetition doesn't necessarily have any significance. In fact, you probably didn't notice, but I used the word point twice in that last little section. I talked about pointing something out, and I talked about a key point. But that repetition 
really had no significance and you didn't notice it as a result. Okay, well, what about words and connections that are a little bit further apart than just one chapter? And Callan makes another really interesting case study here. He points out that the words Lord, visitation, compassion, and death are used in Zechariah's song in Luke chapter 1. And then when we get across to Luke chapter 7, we find Jesus being described as the Lord, again acting from compassion, rescuing a boy from death, and then the people declaring that God has visited or is visiting his people. Is this a coincidence? Is Luke wanting us to remember the song of Zechariah as we come to Luke chapter 7? And does the repetition of the words alert us to this fact? Well, again, I think this is a pretty plausible link. And it's reasonable to think that Luke is weaving this theme through his narrative. Not only because that repetition strikes us and we remember it, but because that's how narratives work. Narratives usually make meaning, not by presenting a logical argument, but by stitching a story together in different ways, by placing incidents and episodes in relation to each other, by having characters who carry forward a plot and who develop or change in the course of that plot, and so on. And one of the common devices of a narrative is to raise themes and ideas in the opening incidents of the story and then return to them in different ways as the story unfolds. You might think, for example, of the overture to John's Gospel, verses 1 to 18. There are so many of the themes and ideas of the Gospel in those opening 18 verses, and John keeps returning to them as he unfolds his story. And so is this happening in Luke chapter 7? Is Luke kind of reprising some of those ideas from Luke 1? Well, very likely. And can word searches and word studies help us to spot this? Of course they can. But so can thoughtful, alert reading. In fact, this would be my litmus test as to whether I'm overusing word studies or trying to draw too tenuous a connection between different passages. Is this connection something that the author might expect that a thoughtful, alert reader would spot and appreciate? That is, a reader who doesn't have Bible software readily to hand. If not, then I'm probably drawing too long a bow. Another good question came in from my good mate and my boss, Carl, who asked me whether it's useful all the same to chase up how words are being used in other places in order to get a feel for the range of possibilities, for what they might mean in this sentence that I'm looking at here. And my answer to this is yes, of course. So long as we remember the difference between usage and modifiers, and reference. And of course I hear you say, yes, yes, I, I'd never get those mixed up. So perhaps I should explain what I mean. The various ways that a word is used in different sentences, its usage, shows us the range of a word's meaning, or we might say its semantic field. And this is what a dictionary very helpfully summarizes for us. It looks at all the different ways in which a word is used in the language, at the time the dictionary is focusing on and being written, and summarises the various meanings that the word can have as a result. And so if you look up the word, say, love in the dictionary today, you'll find a range of meanings like deep affection, romantic attachment, a great 
pleasure or interest in something, a friendly form of address, or for ending a letter, and so on. And these various meanings reflect the different ways that people use the word love to say things in English today. Now, in one sense, as we read different texts and use language ourselves, we're compiling a dictionary in our heads. We develop a mental map of what a word can mean and all the different possibilities that a word might mean. And then when we come to a particular sentence or when we speak a particular sentence, we discern from the context which part of that semantic field is the right one or is being used in this instance. And so if you want to keep building the dictionary in our heads, especially the Greek New Testament dictionary, which is more rudimentary for most of us, by chasing down how words are used in different sentences and noticing that, well, that's an excellent thing to do. Of course, we should also make good use of the much broader usage research that the authors of dictionaries have done for us, but doing it ourselves is also very helpful. So that's usage, the usage of words, or the meaning of words, or the semantic field of words, right? That's one thing. The problem arises when we get confused between the usage or meaning of words and the different modifiers that come along with words and the reference that a word has in particular sentences. And let me give you an example to say what I mean. Let's take the sentence, God loves us unconditionally. God loves us unconditionally. So there's a verb in that sentence to love. And then there are two reference attached to love. That is, two actual beings that the author wants to talk about, one of whom is doing the loving and the other one who is being loved. That's God and us in that sentence. And love is connected with or refers to these specific people or individuals. Those are the reference in that particular sentence. And there's also a modifier in this sentence, the, the adverb unconditionally. God loves us unconditionally, which describes how the loving is being done, what sort of loving action is taking place. Now, here is the obvious but really vital point. The things that the verb refers to, or that a noun refers to for that matter, the actual people in the world that are being referred to in the sentence, are not part of the semantic field of the word love, and nor are the modifiers that are used in the sentence. The reference and the modifiers don't get attached to the word love, so that wherever love goes, those reference or modifiers can go with it. That God is the subject of love in this sentence doesn't mean that when I use the word love in some other sentence, that God is somehow still in the picture. And ditto with unconditionally. If I use the word love in a different sentence, it doesn't mean that the love will necessarily be unconditional. That would depend on what I say in that sentence. And this is the blunder I was talking about in my post a few weeks ago of using word searches and word studies to find occurrences of particular words and then transferring some of the reference or concepts or modifiers from that passage into the one we're studying simply because they share the same word. As if the word is kind of like a wormhole in space through which meaning can kind of travel from one sentence to another. So yes, 
Word studies and word searches can be really useful for building up a sense of what a word means, but once again, do so with care. There is one other helpful function of word studies that is really worth mentioning. Word searches or word studies obviously can alert us to the different places in the Bible where it talks about different subjects. So when I was doing my PhD a few years ago about the mutual word ministry or edifying speech of the Christian community, a word search was a really good place to start in chasing down various passages that might have something to say on that subject. And we do this all the time. But here's the interesting thing, though. Because we say things in sentences and not just with words, we're very capable of talking about the same subject but using many different words and putting them together in different sentences. And this is certainly the case with edifying speech in the New Testament. When I was doing my research, there are more than 20 different key words that are used to talk about the different kinds of one another or edifying speech. And these words are put together in all sorts of different ways to say valuable things about what that speech is like, what it's for, and so on. And so doing a word search on the word speech or one another or encouragement or edifying. This was a good place, obviously, to start in researching and finding things, but it wasn't the place to finish because to really cover the bases and find out what the New Testament was saying about these things, I needed to read the New Testament, the whole New Testament, carefully and find all the different sentences and paragraphs and discourses where the thing I was discovering or researching was talked about. And sometimes it was talked about using words I hadn't even thought of or expected or figured out to search for. So word studies are very useful in getting us started in finding out what the Bible has to say about things, but they certainly are just the start. Well, hopefully the baby has now been rescued and is now splashing in some nice, fresh, clean bath water. Word studies and word searches can be useful and enlightening, and we should make good use of them. But, as with babies, they need to be handled with care. Well, that's probably enough about words and sentences and Bible reading for the moment. I hope you enjoyed that little clarification and further exploration of how to read our Bibles more helpfully, more carefully and usefully. And as always, please let me know what you think and get in touch with any further questions on this subject that you have. Some good news, I heard just yesterday that the new Two Ways to Live booklet that we've been talking about for some time now is now officially available. So if you want to head over to Matthias Media and buy several hundred of them to give away to your friends and to use at church, now is the time to do that. Just go over to matthiasmedia.com.au or if you're listening in the States to matthiasmedia.com and you'll find a big link on the front page to the new Two Ways to Live very excited that it's now available. And that's just about it for this week on The Painful Truth. This is another partner post, but of course, as always, feel free to flick it around to your friends or your ministry colleagues or anyone at church that you want to share and discuss these ideas with. Thanks again for listening this week. Great to be able to talk with you. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.